My name is Anthony Capazzoli, and this is the Dismantled Life Podcast, where we share stories of hope, love, and strength from the darkness of addiction into the sunlight of sobriety. These are stories from people just like us who have lived through the pain and made it. No matter how bad it gets, just know that you can and will recover. It takes work. It takes hard work. Each week, we talk in detail about what it takes to make it, what it takes to beat your addictions. I am a recovering addict from alcohol, cocaine, and nicotine. My addiction started in eighth grade. I am now 50. I had over 40 years of very bad habits to break. I hit rock bottom hard. More than once, I nearly died. I would have left my wife and two young children behind. I've been clean and sober for nearly three years. I completely dismantled my entire life and rebuilt it from the ground up. I believe to make it in recovery, it takes a physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual approach. It takes a positive mindset. It takes hard work. It takes a village. Join me weekly to learn from my sober superhero guests on the Dismantle Life podcast. Subscribe and follow on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Check me out at dismantle.life. Email me at anthony at dismantle.life anytime. Please be sure to leave a rating and review anywhere you listen to your podcasts and let me know if you want to be on the show. Happy recovery. Dr. Barry Ryman, um, and I hope I'm saying that correctly. Uh, if I'm not, please correct me, but it's so, so wonderful to have you on the show. I appreciate you joining the Dismantle Life podcast. Thank you. Yep, you said it perfectly. Uh, Ryman, not Reeman, not Raymond, not Rain Man, although that, <laughs> that movie was awesome. But yeah, <laughs> Ryman is, is perfect. You could just call me Dr. Barry. That's what most people call me. Thank you, Dr. Barry. I appreciate it. I'm very excited to have you on the show today for three distinct reasons. One, to learn about your background um, and what you are a doctor in and a little bit of details about that, which I think is great. Also, Recovery Unplugged. I find your recovery center to be fascinating. I love the approach and I'd love to have not only me, but my listeners learn more about that. And then finally, your background in recovery, 24 and a half years recovered, which is no small feat being three years recovered myself. I know how big of an accomplishment that actually is. So I'm, I can't wait to dive in. Thank you. Appreciate that. So maybe we could start with, if it's okay with you, Recovery Unplugged uh, as the recovery center first, and then back into those other other, other layers. Sure. So Recovery Unplugged is a really unique treatment program. It is a music immersive program. One of our founders was a touring member with the band Aerosmith. Uh, his name is Richie Supa. He's a Grammy award-winning songwriter. Yeah. And we use music as a catalyst to connect with our clients and break down barriers. So it's not music therapy per se. Our clients do not sit around, bang the drums, sing the kumbaya and expect to get better. Um, but, you know, as we know, music is a mood changer, right? And music hits the same areas of the brain that, you know, both drugs and alcohol do. So we have figured out a way <clears throat> to harness the power of music and the treatment of addiction and mental health. That doesn't mean that we don't have master's level primary clinicians licensed because we do. Um, all of our clinicians are all licensed master's level clinicians. Um, it doesn't mean that we don't do cognitive behavioral therapy or dialectical and behavioral therapy. It doesn't mean that we don't have a trauma track or a family program because we have all of the above. So we're really a traditional treatment program 
with, I guess the best way to put it is just a very untraditional approaches. So we have stages built at our facilities. We have recording studios. We've had a number of, you know, what I would consider uh, pretty legendary musicians that, you know, not only have come for treatment, whose names I can't disclose, but who have come to perform for the clients. So we've had the likes of Steven Tyler here, Candlebox, Flowrider, Ty Dollar Sign. When we opened our Nashville facility, we had uh, Clay Cook from the Zach Brown Band came out and performed. <laughs> so just a number of Art Alexis from Everclear, too many to name right wow this is so cool man i music is a huge deal and plays such an important role in everyone's life and i did not know that it hits the same parts of your brain that drugs and alcohol do this is new to me this is truly interesting yep same receptors so you know which is i mean think about it anthony right you're driving in the car and a song comes on and it's a song that you love. And what do you do? You roll the windows down and you start singing at the top of your lungs, right? Yeah. And what is your face doing? Is it smiling? Definitely. 100%, right? More than likely, that song has connected you with some type of memory from your past that has brought about joy, right? And then on the flip side, have you ever been in the car and a song comes on and right away you change excuse me, you changed the channel and you're like, oh, I don't like that song. Right. <laughs> Definitely. Right. Yeah. Is it the lyrics? Probably not. What more than likely happened was it jogged some memory from your past where you experienced some type of pain or trauma or, you know, the loss of a relationship, the loss of a loved one. Maybe it was a time in your life you were being bullied in middle school. Um, so we have all these different associations in the brain and music is a mood changer. Right. There, there are certain songs that put you in the mood to do certain things. Right. If I'm going to work out, I'm playing that Rocky song, you know, right. Doesn't that song just make you want to get up and punch the air? It does. It all does. Right. And in fact, I box six days a week or so. And I listen to all kinds of music and Rocky's playlist is in the mix there for sure. Yeah. So, you know, we, we didn't reinvent the wheel here. Um, for, for as far as anybody walking this earth can remember, music has been medicine. It just hasn't been done in the way we're doing it when it comes to the treatment of substance use disorder. And what happens at Recovery Unplugged is you have a lot of clients who come in that might have been apprehensive to get help, right? Not everybody comes in brimming with willingness to give up their best friend. Right. And I can and we'll get into this a little bit more when I tell you a little bit more about my story. But, you know, most people come in, you know, pretty apprehensive or if they've had multiple treatment stays in very traditional programs where how are you feeling today? How does that make you feel kind of, you know what I mean? Those kind of where, you know, in our facility, for instance, you know, in the mornings, instead of doing a goal group, right, most inpatient treatment centers will gather the troops for the day and you get in a room and you sit in a circle and you come up with your goal for the day. And the first person says, well, my goal today is I'm going to be honest. And then the next person says, I'm going to practice willingness today. Right. And you kind of go around the room and it's boring. You know, you're not listening to the person next to you. It's pre-scripted. You know, you're just 
our group in the morning, we do a mic check group and we bring everybody into the room where we have our stage and we blast some music and we put on a motivational video and everybody gets out of their seats and literally just starts shaking their body out. Right. And the physical connects with the mental. Have you ever been to a Tony Robbins seminar? I have not. He's one of my favorite people I've watched and listen to all of his podcasts, anything I can get my hands on video-wise. So I am incredibly familiar with, with Tony Robbins, and I love where this is going. Okay, so I, I went um, about two years ago to Newark, New Jersey, to attend one of his events. It's called UPW, or Unleashing the Power Within. Yeah. And it was at the Prudential Center, obviously pre-COVID, and you know there was 20, 18, 17,000 people in the Prudential Center, and 80% of what Tony Robbins does is all music. He'll, he'll say what he says and then he'll stop. And then the music starts to blare and the lights go crazy and he makes everybody get up and dance. And then the music ends and you sit back down. And then five minutes later, the music comes back on again and it's another song and the lights are going and you're high-fiving your partner. So music really is used as medicine. Um, and, and, and we can get into, you know, for us at Recovery Unplugged, it starts at the front door. I'll give you a little bit of the secret sauce. So we do a pre-screening assessment, you know, with our clients. So if we have a client who's, you know, going to be flying in from Ohio, we want to know, you know, who this client is before they get on a plane to make sure they're going to meet the criteria to be in our treatment facility. So we do what every other, you know, ethical treatment center does, and we do a pre-screening assessment, and we get their medical history, and we get their mental health history, and their substance use history, and if they have any legal history. And that's typically where the assessment ends for most providers. For us, we take it a step further, and we ask them what their favorite genre of music is who their favorite artist is, and what's that one song that touches them the most, right? And, and we jot this down and the clients on the other end are like, well, I guess this makes sense. I'm coming to a music place. Okay. Right. They don't think anything of it. <laughs> so, you know, uh, Jimbo flies into um, and lands at our facility here in Florida and our driver meets the client at the airport. And as soon as that client steps into our transport vehicle, that song is playing for him right away. And at that moment, walls go down, rapport is established, and the client's like, wow, I love that song. And we're like, we know, we listened, right? It's yeah. the details. And right away, there's a bond. And the client's like, wow, do you like Bob Marley too? And our driver's like, of course I love Bob Marley, you know? Right. And then conversation is established and the degree of anxiety is cut in half. Right. And that's just a small example of how a client's journey at Recovery Unplugged starts. And, you know, we're very good with paying attention to the details. We're great with relatability and we're an awesome program, not only for music lovers or musicians, right? Only about hmm, 10 percent of our clients are actually musically inclined. Hmm. The other 90 percent just have a love for music. But we do really well with clients who have had uh, great results from more traditional treatment programs. I love it. Listen, I'm a big proponent of the soundtrack of your life kind of concept. And I think that it's one of those things like you, you know, this obviously more than anybody, but for me, there are moments in my life when I was using that I just didn't listen to that music anymore 
for a very long time because it brought me to the wrong side of my brain. It, it made me want to use or drink or smoke or whatever. And I had to stop. And now that I'm three years in and I'm in a better place, I can go back and listen to that. And I, I got rid of the junk that came with that. And now I listen to that music in a different perspective. And it's wonderful again to me. Um, it doesn't have that sagging weight of addiction tied to it. So I totally get what you're saying where uh, I have built, I didn't even know I was doing this, but my a new soundtrack for my life in recovery. And I love how you tie it in because it is incredibly powerful. Like days I don't feel like boxing or walking or doing things. I'll change, a la Tony Robbins, I'll change my state very often, not only by moving around, but by listening to music for a few moments and being in the mood through the music and then carrying on. So I totally get 100% of what you're saying, I think it's magical that you've connected those dots for people to help them through recovery with it. It's truly magnificent. Yeah, it's a, it's just a, listen, I've been in this industry for, oh man, about 15 years in all facets. Okay. From working as a, you know, psychologist on the clinical side to owning my own treatment facility. And I'll tell you in all my time I've been in this industry, this place is by far, and this says a lot, right? Because I used to own treatment centers. This is by far the most amazing treatment facility I've ever been associated with in my career. It's just special. It's not for a certain age group. We don't just have 18 to 21 year olds. That's the other part of the music is how it connects people, right? So, you know, we, we have some weeks where our census, you know, the average age is people in their mid 40s. We have people in their 50s and their 60s. We have, you know, those in their 20s. It's all over the board, but overall, just the staff, the compassionate care that is the compassionate care that is provided by our staff, the vibe. It's just the vibe. It's just, you know, you don't feel like you're in treatment, but we do real work. You know, we do EMDR for our clients who have trauma. We have a trauma track. We have a family weekend that we do once a month, pre-COVID, you know, where the families were flying into town and participating in treatment because it's a family disease. We believe in the 12 steps, um, but we also believe in multiple pathways to recovery. So, you know, it's a, it really is, you know, we, we have almost a cult-like following, you know, if you go on Facebook. I get that. I, I really do. And I can hear it in your voice, the the excitement and the passion, not only for the work that you do, but the, the, the way that you do the work, which is everything. I think that a lot of success can be driven in a positive way through real connection. And I think that the, the kind of the, the common connection point here being the music, along with a top-notch recovery center and, and methods is, is truly spectacular. And then, I mean, it ties into like your, your PhD, you have a doctorate in clinical and forensic psychology. So I would imagine that is right down the middle of the plate for you here with all of this recovery stuff. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, for me, it's the perfect fit, you know, having a doctorate in psychology, being a recovering addict and just the years of experience, you know, I'm, I'm literally living my passion. I'd love to learn more about your background being recovered, if you don't mind. I think it would tie in nicely because, I listen, I say this, you know, I can describe it. I think that it's important, especially in recovery, to work with people that understand not only from an academic perspective, but from a feet on the street, <clears throat> excuse me, been there, done that, lived through it perspective as well. I am not suggesting for anyone listening, by the way, 
that you can only recover with the help of other addicts. That's not what I'm saying. But I think that there's a level of understanding there that gets created with one addict helping another, especially one that has a PhD. Uh, so that kind of stuff is really important. I think it's it's a valuable layer. 100%. In total agreement with you. What does your addictions look like? Um, mine were alcohol, cocaine, and nicotine. And I rampaged, started about eighth grade. And it's been about three years. So I had 40 some years of really, really bad habits to break. And thankfully I've done so and I've been successful in large part. And that this isn't my segment, this is yours. But I, a lot of it, you know, I had to create new habits uh, is the basis of everything. And, and I started somatically with, you know, walking and boxing and biking and physically taking that approach tied to all the other hard work you have to put in. But the basis for me was that. Um, so sorry, I just want to interject that uh, we're brothers in kind in that regard in terms of recovery. No, that, and that's awesome. Um, my drug of choice, I believe, was more. <laughs> <laughs> totally get that too, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I did, you know, I have the classic case of, you know, um, curiosity killed the cat. I started smoking weed when I was like 13, you know, started, I was a skateboarder. And for me, I think it was more about just identifying with a group. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, I started smoking cigarettes at 13 and smoking weed at 13 and did like, was on a downward spiral, I would say until I was about 15. And I kind of got it together for a few years in high school from like 10th grade to 12th grade, managing by just smoking weed and did well enough in school to get accepted at the University of Florida. When I went away to school, all hell broke loose. I, I just kept climbing that ladder until there were no more rungs to climb. And this was back in, I went away to, I graduated high school in 93 and I got clean in June of 1996. So basically, you know, just one thing after another, right? From the weed to the alcohol and then to the benzos got into like the Xanax and the Valium. And back then we had roofies and no, I did not date rape anybody. Of course, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was too, too selfish of an addict to just give away my yeah, drugs. You can't give that stuff away. That's hard fought uh, drugs right there. Yeah. <laughs> so I had rushed a fraternity and my big brother in the fraternity he had a drug problem and wound up leaving school. And, you know, where's the best place for a drug addict to work when they leave school? He got a job at a pharmacy down here oh. in Boca. So he would send up these care packages of these pills, these Xanax and Valium and, and Halcyon, just crazy. I, I didn't even know what I was taking, but right. I started yeah. eating those like candy, then got into ecstasy and, you know, that whole party scene and started selling drugs. And I figured, you know, the first time I took ecstasy, it was uh, an old school groover is what they were called. And basically it was just a press pill of God only knows what was in it. Heroin, cocaine, some type of, you know, yeah, whether it was cocaine or methamphetamine and you mushed it all together and you just felt really good. Yeah, and yeah. I remember taking that for the first time and, um, I felt so good. It was literally, I, I guess, Anthony, the best way I could describe it, it was like getting a hug from God mm -hmm. and it was love at first sight. And, you know, they were expensive pills back then. They were, I think they were like 30 bucks a piece. Yeah. yeah. So I said, well, I got to figure out a way how to get free pills. 
So the very first time I did it, as soon as I did it and felt it, I bought 10 of them immediately and, you know, sold off eight and made two for myself for free. And because I got a discount, you know, when I bought 10 and, you know, within, I would say a good two or three weeks, I was literally buying 500 at a time. Like I, I don't have that. I don't have that moderation. <laughs> right. I'm missing that. I'm missing that right. too. <laughs> right. It's just, it's just central to people with this disease. Right. So I, you know, I started buying all these pills and I became the dealer up in Gainesville and I was supplying all the ecstasy and my, my dream job was to work as a bouncer at the underground rave club and, you know, school went by the wayside. And I can tell you my very first semester at the university of Florida, which is a pretty good school. Yeah. My GPA was a 0.33, which um, is equivalent to two F's a D and a withdrawal from a course. Wow. So, you know, I, I obviously was not attending class or doing the things I needed to do. And uh, long story short, uh, I wound up eventually getting into cocaine and, and selling cocaine and um, went from, you know, buying an eight ball to within a month. Um, I had a plug down in Boca who was introduced to me by the guy who worked in the pharmacy and I was getting a quarter pound of cocaine on the front, um, driving down to Boca, driving up the turnpike, railing lines off CD cases and hanging out my sunroof, um, you know, with no regard for the law. And then uh, I have bad allergies and the cocaine was hurting my nose. And uh, long story short, again, I started to freebase. I didn't want to call it crack cocaine back then. So I started freebasing and uh, before I knew it, I was into crack. Um, I was snorting heroin and just my life spiraled pretty quickly. Uh, I'm six foot three inches tall. I was 140 pounds soaking wet. I was having grand mal seizures um, in and out of hospitals, you know, trying to detox myself. And I was literally dying. Don't and not, not once did I ever say, today will be a great day to stop. Right. right. Uh, and, you know, eventually what happened was um, an intervention took place. Well, I'll tell you a, a quick, funny story. I had friends at school. You, you know, you're bad, right? When your people who you're using with are worried about you. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like I had dealers that, you know, even, Take it even easy. <laughs> I had dealers that wouldn't sell to me anymore. Okay. There was, it was, it was not a good thing. So one night, I went to go pick up my buddy, Mike, and he lived in what was called the student ghetto. It was like an area like where there were just a bunch of houses for students who lived off campus. And I was picking him up. We were supposed to go out for dinner and hang out. And I pull up to his place and he walks out of his front door and gives me that wave, like, come on in for a second. I'm not ready. You know, give me five minutes. Come on in. Just yeah. park. So I park and I go inside and like 20 of my closest friends are all sitting in there. There's one empty spot on the couch a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts and a large coffee. And I walked in. Can you curse on here? Absolutely. Yeah. I was like, Oh fuck. <laughs> like this is it. Like I, uh, I had no idea. Right. So I sit down. I remember looking at the clock. It was eight Oh four PM. You know how the cable boxes used to have the time on them on top Dude. of the TV. Okay. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so I sit down, I'm looking at the clock. It's eight Oh four. And all I'm thinking about is like, when can I use, you know? So I'm sitting around and each person is talking about the person they met when they first met me when I came to school. And then each person is going around talking about the person that they now know. 
and the disparity and the difference. So I'm listening and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm soaking it all in, right? Towards the end of the intervention, they make me sign a contract that I'm going to go for help. Um, and they had like a whole list of resources. Like and these are people that I got high with, right? Yeah. So they have this whole list of resources and I had to sign this contract. And if I didn't enter into counseling and start going to these NA meetings, right? Which I knew nothing about. Then um, if I didn't fulfill my obligations to this contract, they were going to call my parents. I go ahead and sign it. And I realized in my pocket, I had just, I had just gotten this brand new bag of just really good crippy. They used to call it crippy back then, right? Like the good weed. Yeah. <laughs> so it's now like 10 minutes after midnight and I look at all of them and I'm like, listen, I really appreciate the love and concern and what you guys have done for me. But I have this really big bag of just the funk in my pocket. And I was wondering, I just, I don't want to waste it. I was wondering if we could potentially, you know, all smoke the bag together tonight and then I'll start this tomorrow. So (laughs) they all go in the other room to confer. It was like deliberations (laughs) and they come out of the room (laughs) and they're like, all right, but just this once, right? We just went through a four hour and like six minute intervention where I just signed away my life to these people. And, you know, within 10 minutes, we were all getting high together. Yeah. So that was, uh, that was my first intervention. And that was like in 1995. And um, after about two plus years being up at that school, I left and came back home and just thought if I just got out of Gainesville, I would be fine. And I made it home and a lot of my friends who also didn't do so good up at school were also home and, you know, stuff just got worse for me. And I just, I I got into some trouble down here and this is where I lost all my weight. And I was just doing bad things with bad people going places. I shouldn't have gone doing things I shouldn't have been doing, you know, and it's just not how how I was raised. And eventually I got intervened on again, but this time by my family. That was on June 19th, 1996. And I, I was at my psychologist's office. I showed up for my appointment and my parents and my sister were there. And, and by two in the morning that night, um, I was in a detox facility. And I just said to myself, you know what? I've tried every which way to Sunday to get better. The only way I haven't tried was total abstinence. And I said that uh, I'm going to make a deal with myself and I'm going to give this thing 90 straight days. And after 90 days, if I still want to get high, if I don't look better, if I don't feel better, if my relationships haven't improved, drugs will always be there. We're not going to be going through prohibition again. They're not going to dry up off the face of the earth, right? But this is going to be a 90-day investment that I'm going to make for myself, right? Because sometimes if you bring the body enough times, eventually the mind follows. And I made it to, you know, I went into detox, I did treatment, I started going to these um, cult meetings, right, NA meetings, and I thought for sure it was a cult, they were going to make me shave my head and go (laughs) door to door selling books out of the airport. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I just thought it was uh, people were hugging me and, uh, but I started going to these meetings and on the 90th day I, I looked in the mirror and I looked better and I felt better and my relationships had gotten better and that overwhelming desire to sabotage and self-destruct had started to dissipate. And I said, wow, 
if I feel this good at 90 days, I wonder how I'll feel at six months. Yeah. Right. Still the addict. I'm still looking to feel good, which is human, right? As Definitely. humans, we just want to feel better. Right. Definitely. So, and, and, um, I secretly started looking forward to going to these meetings. And what I noticed was each time I went, when I left, I felt a little bit better. It's just about feeling better. But I was so stuck for so many years and in instant gratification that I couldn't see the forest through the trees. And I got to a place where my life started to get better despite me. Right. And I did not have a good reason to give up what I've built in that short period of time to go back to what I had where my life was falling apart. And, and what's messed up, and, and this is going to be a pretty deep quote, but, you know, addicts, alcoholics, they are the only people who walk this earth that will trade 15 minutes of happiness for a lifetime of misery. Like really think about that. For That's a amazing. We are the only people to trade 15 minutes of happiness for a lifetime of misery. Wow. Holy shit. That is is pointed that's amazing that's really good right so and what i found was the longer i stuck to this the better i felt the longer i did this the more my life improved and the reward right because it's all about reward the reward of being clean started to outweigh the reward of taking that first substance that's all you know, it's, it's instant gratification versus delayed gratification, right? Instant gratification is addiction. Instant gratification is feel good now, feel like shit later. Yeah. Recovery is the essence of delayed gratification. Feel like shit now to feel better later. It's an investment. Anything that's worth anything, time has to be invested. And you can apply that to all areas of life. It's not just addiction and recovery, right? You want to build a bank account. Unless you win the lottery and have a windfall of cash, you're not going to become a millionaire overnight. But if you put a little bit in each day and each week and each month and compound interest, eventually you're going to have a lot more than what you started with. If you're just building that bank account in the first week, you're going to have no problem just giving that money to someone else because it's not a big deal. But if you build it over time, the more you invest, the more the reward. So, and, and that's anything, man. That's going to the gym, yeah. right? You, you go to the gym, first time ever, and you hire a trainer and you walk in that gym and you see people who are cut and ripped and you're like, I want that. So you hire a trainer and you go through your 45 minute workout and you're feeling great, right? It hurts, but you're feeling great. And you walk, you, you go home. And the next morning you wake up and you go to walk to your bathroom and your legs are like jello. <laughs> and then you bend over, you know, to go into your sink to wash your face and you literally can't <laughs> lift your arms up to your face, right? Definitely. What's your first thought when you look at your calendar and you see you have another appointment with the trainer that day? Like, this is going to suck. <laughs> but <laughs> Fuck that. My first thought is, I ain't fucking going back there. Yeah. No way. That hurts. Yeah. <laughs> right? But let's say you do, let's say you go back and you go back again and you go back again and it hurts a little bit less each time. And then two weeks later, you go in that same bathroom where you go to wash your face and you take your shirt off and you look in the mirror and what do you see? Oh my God, I notice a difference. Yeah. I look better. 
And then a month later, people are coming up to you on the street. Hey, Barry, what, you look great. What are you doing? Right. And you're getting this feedback now from others, which contributes to the reward of where you've gone. And then two months later, you find yourself reaching for the water instead of the soda. And then three months later, you're grabbing somebody else by the hand and encouraging them to come into the gym. Oh, yeah. And within six months, if you're a good addict, you're taking classes to become a personal trainer. And by a year, you own a gym. Right. That's how we do things. <laughs> That's right. We go as far as an extreme as course, possible. Absolutely. Right? The investment, right? Yeah, Little absolutely. by slowly, you walk through the pain. Pain is not bad. You walk through the pain and make it to the other side and you experience the fruits of your labor. Recovery is the same way, man. It it's, really is. Put in the work now, feel pain now, go through it now and see what happens until you get to the other side. Listen, millions of people are recovering, okay? For me, for example... I like to have fun more than the next person. You can trust me on that. <laughs> I would not do this and stick to this for 24 plus years if my life was miserable and I woke up every day miserable. There'd yeah. be no point to it, right? So just because you're feeling a certain way early on, oh, well, recovery is really not for me. I just don't feel good. Dude, you've been fucking clean for six days and you've used for the last 16 years. Give right. yourself a break, right? Yeah. Put in the time, get because we're the biggest pussies ever. We hate to feel. <laughs> we hate to feel. Yeah. No, you're. Oh right. my God. I'm feeling, I think I'm going to feel anxious. Let me use. I think I'm going to feel nervous. I'm, I'm telling you, I feel it coming on. Let me use. Yeah. Right. We just have an inability to be uncomfortable. So as soon as you master the art of being uncomfortable, only then do you find comfort. Right. It's just change. It's change. So I know I rambled on there a little bit. Oh, no, gosh, this was absolutely spectacular. Every minute. I, Dr. Barry, thank you for what what a wonderful episode this has been. I, I've learned a ton about Recovery Unplugged. I've learned a ton about you and I've learned a ton about your philosophy in terms of recovery, both personally and professionally, which um, there really couldn't be a better episode. So I thank you from the bottom of my heart and all my listeners, thank you for uh, being a wonderful guest and coming on and sharing your knowledge, your love, and your passion. This has been great. Yeah. And uh, if you want, I can be reached. I can give you my, my number. Do. Yeah. My direct number to, to sell is 754-246-8999. And I'm, I'm here to help, you know, whether we can accept you here at Recovery Unplugged or not, I'll do my best to, you know, get whoever's out there struggling the help that they need. Thank you so much for being a part of the show and uh, making Dismantled Life a Better Podcast. Thank you for that. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks for having me on.